0: When Jessie tells me she has a song, I always say, yes, I would love to have you sing that. That was beautiful. Uh, well, we're going to jump in this morning and uh, talk about Jesus' birth story. And uh, I just wanted to ask before we, before we do that, for you to think about, do you have a funny birth story with either one of your children or with yourself that you can think of? Uh, I think birth stories are really significant, and uh, I think it was a couple months ago we talked about birth stories, and this Christmas season has got me thinking about birth stories again, Uh, and Jesse alluded to it. Jesus' birth story is really strange, okay? So most people don't get to be born in a stable with animals and manure and all of that stuff, okay? Uh, So Jesus has this funny and strange birth story, and I just think it's incredible when you take the scriptures seriously and you realize that uh, the, the writers, we're going to talk a little bit about the way that these scripture authors wrote their stories, and I hope it brings some clarity to you about the way that the scriptures were written. Uh, but when you read these stories, you realize it wasn't made up. Like th- there was no human mind that, that made up these stories with an agenda other than just to tell the truth about who Jesus is, right? When you, when you think about the way Jesus' story is told, Jesus is the, he's the king of the world, okay? And so here we are 2,000 years later, and, and Christianity is, is practiced by people literally all over the world. Christianity used to be pretty dominant in the West, you know, in in America and Canada, uh, but it's actually shifted. You know that the the center of Christianity is in Africa and places like Brazil. There's just this incredible revival. God is up to some amazing things that are undeniable. There's miracles happening. We're going to talk a little bit today about some miracles that happened in the Scripture. You can't get over that. But the way that the Scripture authors wrote the stories, they wrote them and they told the story as it happened because it was just, it was true. But it's kind of bizarre. If you were making up a story about the king of the world, you wouldn't have him travel to this small town, Bethlehem, because of a census that was being taken, and and there's no place for him to go, and so he's born in this stable. A bunch of animals are around and all this kind of stuff. Like, if you were making the story up, you'd make up something more extravagant about the king of the world. And one of the things I find fascinating when you read the the story of Jesus is that, like, all of the the bigwigs and the powerful people of the day are unaware... About Jesus. And so when God shows up and does his miraculous announcement of who Jesus is, he does it with people that seem like they were insignificant in the world. And I just find it so ironic that like, and, and maybe you don't struggle with this, um, but some of us, okay, this is kind of the way the world works, we're, we're like, we want to be noticed by important people. We want important people to, to, to know that we're there or, 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 you know, recognize us in some way. There's a show that, that Vicky and I watch sometimes, and uh, we're, um, we're re-watching it, and uh, when I went to Haiti, it was probably 10 years ago, I went to Haiti on a mission trip when I was at uh, university, uh, I actually met one of the guys in the show. And so we're on the plane going to Haiti, and this guy's pretty famous in Hollywood at the time. And uh, he, there was like some, it was the girls actually that noticed him because they thought he was super cute. Um, He was this like curly blonde guy. And so I'm on the plane and and there's this hush. People are like talking about like this guy that's on the plane. And um, I was sitting by him. And so he was sitting there and he had this like pillowcase over his head and he was leaned up against the window and he didn't want anybody to notice him, but people noticed him. And so they made a big deal and they were coming and getting pictures taken with him. And it was just super funny. And I got chatting with him and I, at the time, I hadn't even watched the show. I was like... Not that interested in it. Um, but after I met him, I was like, oh, this is so cool. And so then now when I see him on TV, I have this little, like, I met that guy. Right? And he's not even that famous. He's not like a super, if I said his name, you wouldn't even know who he was. But it was just this, like, weird, like, I met, I met this guy. Right? Um, it's, I won't tell you the whole story, but I ended up getting to pray with him at a really busy airport in Haiti. It was super cool. He's not a, he wasn't a Christian at the time, but we had a chance to pray together, and it was just really neat. But when I think about that, and I think about the story of the gospel, like, there's nothing in God that's looking for the important people to recognize or, or to authorize what's happening. God, when he shows up, he shows up to people that everybody else overlooked. He shows up to people that weren't, uh, you know, considered important in their day. And he makes this incredible announcement about who Jesus is. And the way Jesus comes, like, it's a bizarre story. If you haven't read through Matthew and Luke's account of, of the, the story of Jesus and his birth... Read through it again with fresh eyes, and just notice how strange and bizarre it is. And when you read it, there's this sense that you go, like, this has got to be true, because if it wasn't, they wouldn't tell the story this way. If this was made up, there would be something different about it. Jesus' birth story is really interesting. And I want you to, before we read it, I just want to point out a couple things that might help you as you read the scriptures. So you'll notice, uh, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 2 today. And when you read the Gospels, okay, so there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the four Gospel accounts that tell about Jesus' life, death, resurrection, okay? They're really important. And only Matthew and Luke tell the story of Jesus' birth with any detail. And if you read them carefully, and maybe you've done this. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure what you believe. Maybe you read the Bible and you've got questions and, and, and you, you see things that like look like discrepancies and you're like, I don't know if I really believe it. If you read Matthew carefully and then you read Luke carefully, you'll notice that there's like there's different things they emphasize. And then there's things about the story that don't seem to quite line up where you go, Is, is one of them wrong? Did they get the details wrong? Okay? And and this is regarding Jesus' birth story, but also if you read the rest of Jesus' life, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's details in the story that when you're reading Luke, it looks a little bit different in John. When you're reading John, it looks a little bit different in Matthew. And so some people criticize that, and they go, oh, well, clearly it's just made up, right? And there's all kinds of reasons I could go to, but I want to put a couple up on the screen that might help you. So in, in ancient writing techniques, you can go to that slide, Andrew, Uh Here we are. So there's ancient writing techniques, and if you want to just kind of glance down through it, uh, it'll it'll help you as you read the scripture. But for ancient writers 2,000 years ago, when they wrote history and they wrote down historical documents, um, some of the techniques they used was compression, transferal, and displacement. And so as you read the gospel stories, okay, and we're going to read this this, uh, from Matthew this morning, I just want you to know that ancient writers didn't write the same way that we write today. There was different rules that governed how they wrote and why they included some things in the story and why they didn't, okay? So compression is when a story is collapsed for economy of space, omitting much of the detail in order to have a succinct account of a given event. So when an ancient writer, uh, they only had so much papyrus to work with. They only had so much space, and it was really expensive to write a historical document. And so they had certain rules that they would go by, and they had a goal. They wanted to accomplish a certain goal with what they uh, were emphasizing in a story. But as far as the details, they they sometimes had creative license with how they used certain details. And certain writers um, would omit certain details, and other ones would add ones for for reasons um, that the author had in mind and heart. And I just want you to know that uh, because if you know some of these things when you go to read the story, you, you understand a little bit about the perspective of the person that wrote the story. And in Matthew's gospel, uh, this, is, this is really important. When you read Matthew's gospel and talks about Jesus, do you know that his goal is to show you that Jesus is like the new Moses, okay? And, and, and if, you, if you study the book of Matthew, you'll see this really uh, clearly, the, the Jewish people, they, the, Moses was their guy. He was the guy. When they thought about their history, when they thought about the things that were really important in their nation, Moses was the guy. He was the guy that led them through the wilderness. He was the guy that freed them from Egyptian slavery. Okay? He was the guy that gave them the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And Matthew When he was showing people who Jesus, he was writing with a Jewish audience in mind, and he wanted his people to understand, like, Jesus, he's the new Moses. Like, Moses gave us the law. Moses gave us the commandments. Moses was the one that showed us how we can have a relationship with Yahweh, with God Almighty. And then Matthew was like, he he was convinced, he's one of these eyewitnesses of Jesus, and he writes this gospel, and he wants people reading it to go, man, Jesus is now, he's like the new Moses. He's the guy that comes on behalf of God and reveals to people what it looks like to know God intimately. So in Matthew, you often hear Jesus saying things like this. He goes, you've heard it said, now I say. And he quotes something that Moses said. He quotes something from the law and he says, you've heard this, now I'm telling you this. And so Matthew's gospel, the, the, what Matthew had in his heart was he was like, he wanted his Jewish brothers and sisters to see this Jesus we're talking about, like he is now the spokesperson for God. He's now the one that's going to show us what it looks like to have a relationship with Yahweh. And so that was like, that was what was in his heart. And so it's really important for, for us modern readers not to get hung up on some of these, these differences. Some of the differences in the stories that you read actually show us that we're dealing with real historical documents that show us who Jesus is in a way that we can be absolutely confident. It's incredible. So I won't go into all that, but I just wanted to put that up. That might be new to you, but as you read the stories and maybe you stumble over some things, it's just important to know um, that these ancient writers, they they had certain techniques that they used, and they would actually think our techniques today that we write with are really strange and weird. Uh, And so knowing that is helpful. But know that Matthew's goal... He wants us to see that Jesus is now the person who's going to reveal to us what it looks like to know God and have relationship with him. So we're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 2, and this will be up on the screen. And I'm just going to pray uh, as we read this together, just that the Lord will will speak to us uh, through his word and, and just show us, even in a deeper way, just what it looks like to hear him, to follow him, and to be his people. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. I thank you for how, uh, when we read from the Gospel of Matthew, we're reading an account from someone who saw you, who experienced you, and who was called by you to reveal to the world who you are. And Lord, we confess, there's, it's, sometimes it's hard to understand the scriptures. It's hard to understand the context of things that happened so long ago, but Lord, you've given us your word as, a, as a, a revelation of who you are. And I just pray, Lord, that as we read today, we would hear your voice and that you would teach us what it looks like to follow you, what it looks like to, to live lives that are in complete surrender to you. Help us to see you. And, and as, as we go into this Christmas, Lord, uh, I pray that we would we would go into this uh, Christmas uh, celebration with just a deeper sense of, of, of who you are and, and what it means uh, to be people that are about your business and that are in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 2 says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star. When it rose, and have come to worship him, and we'll we'll keep going. But just as you read scripture, just notice things like this. Okay, so you've got these three wise men. They don't show up in Luke or any other of the gospels. Okay, and there's these three wise men that come from the east. So there's questions there. Well, which way is east? I mean, east. It really depends on where you are when you say east, right? And so you've got these guys coming from who knows where, and then they say, "We saw the star of Jesus. That's why we're here." That's a little strange, right? You, like, you, are you tracking with me? Like, if somebody showed up in Thunder Bay and they're like, hey, we saw a star and there's somebody really important going to be here, you, would your first thought be like, you're wise? Or would your first thought be like, I, I got to go. <laughs> I don't even live here, okay? <laughs> like, would, would your first thought, what would your first thought be? Okay, so you've got these people that show up. Um, they say, where is, the, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it arose and we have come to worship him. Okay, so these three wise men come. Um, and and the, the text, by the way, doesn't say three, just that there's three gifts. But they show up with these gifts and they've seen this star. Verse 3, when Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And you're going to know Herod, Jeremy talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He's this evil, maniacal king who was known to kill members of his family if he thought they were a threat to him. He's, he's crazy. So when Herod is disturbed, that these people are saying, hey, there's a king going to be born. You know, there's this prophecy and there's a star. The, the scriptures tell us all of, all of Jerusalem was disturbed along with Herod. And it's kind of like, if you've ever had somebody in your life that flies off the handle and they're easily enraged, when that person's angry, everybody around them's angry too, right? Or, or at least on eggshells. Like it just causes a reaction. And that's kind of what's going on here with Herod. When Herod... The king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it arose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Uh, This is really interesting, too. If you study this star... Uh, You'll find different people that have different perspectives on this, but there's multiple different possibilities of what may have been happening at the time. Uh, But people that know astronomy have done some pretty interesting research on the star, and uh, there's some pretty interesting theories as to what this was. But there was something happening in the sky that these guys recognized as a sign about a king that was to come. And it's really important as well, these guys are not Jewish, they would have been seen by the Jewish people as foolish for the way that they studied the stars and thought there was signs coming because of the stars. But God revealed something to this, this group of Gentiles about the coming of the king, and it was something in the sky. God revealed himself in a really profound way. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then... Opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Again, just notice the, the, like, the strangeness in the story. You've got these wise men that, that have come from the east, and there's a star they're guided by, and they get and they see Jesus, and, and I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but he probably wasn't a brand-newborn baby at the moment they saw him, okay? Uh, we, we like look at the pictures of the nativity scene and we, we assume that everything happened on the same night. Jesus was born, the wise men showed up, the shepherds showed up, and it's really pretty and beautiful. This likely happened uh, a few months afterwards. But, but just think of the strangeness of it. You've got this new baby with his parents and these wise men come. They're obviously powerful. They're obviously wealthy and they just fall down and worship a newborn baby. Like that's a little bit strange, There's some bizarre thing, and they're doing it because they saw a star in the sky, and they connected that with some prophecies, and all of it seemed to make sense to them that Jesus is this next, the Savior, this King, right? It's this strange story. Verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, tons of dreams here, God speaking through dreams, and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child... And his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem Bethlehem, and in all of the region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah. Weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. And just keep that in mind, we'll, we'll come back to that, we're going to end with, with that. But there's this incredibly sad story that happens at the same time as the most hopeful story the world has ever heard. And there's this, this prophecy that, that was just quoted, is from the Old Testament, and it's connected to the coming of Jesus. Verse 19, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream, to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, another dream, he withdrew the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, and he would be called a Nazarene. So, I just want to make three uh, reflections uh, from this story today. And they'll be up on the, on the screen, Andrew. You can go to that, that slide. So, the first is that Jesus draws a diverse crowd. Second, I want to make a reflection on stars, dreams, angels, and prophecy. And then third, Emmanuel, good God, in an evil world. The Christmas story, we don't often talk a lot about that last part of the scripture that I read where there's this horrible killing that's, that, was, that was done in the town of Bethlehem. But the fact that it's in there, I believe, is uh, points us to comfort. And, and that's what I want to want to end with. But first, uh, did you notice how Jesus draws a diverse crowd? Andrew, you can go to the next slide. We, uh, I think it was a year or two ago, we did a, uh, a sermon series on diversity. And we talked about how uh, if, we're, if we're a church that is really preaching the love of Jesus, that will be a church that is ethnically diverse, socioeconomically diverse, generationally diverse, and ideologically diverse, okay? Those are some maybe big words that, that are confusing, but basically what it means is that a church of Jesus shouldn't be a crowd of people that all look the same have, or, or have the same tastes are the same age category from the same place in the world, Okay? If, if we're really preaching Jesus, we should be a diverse church. When, when I get to travel and, and people ask about the church that I pastor in Thunder Bay, you know what one of my favorite things to tell people is? I just love telling people, like if you come to Transformation Church on a Sunday morning, it's just a really eclectic crowd. You, you really never know what you're gonna get, right? Like you, you just, like, and I really believe that when Jesus is at work, that that's what happens, that there's this, it draws a diverse crowd of people, you can put the, the next slide up, Andrew. Uh, this is a not. Oh, I'm going to go back to that one. You can go to the next one with the uh, shepherds. Yeah. So this is kind of the the stereotypical picture we see at at Christmas time with the wise men and the shepherds. But do you know what's really powerful about this picture is that you've got these these wise men, and I talked about it as we read it they would have been considered by the Jewish people to be kind of foolish, okay? It was uh, astrology back in those days was a highly developed science, okay? So there were, there were people that dedicated their whole lives to studying the stars in the sky and they were looking for omens and they were looking for all these signs from the heavens and all these things, okay? And, and there was a lot of people in those days that took that very seriously. When, when they wanted a message from the gods, they looked to the skies to see it. And the Jewish people thought that was a little bit strange. The fact that the wise men are in the story here, it just, it's, it's just like the reason they're included is because it's true. And, and at this like Christmas scene where, where these guys come, like the diversity in this crowd is incredible. You've got these really powerful, rich guys, but their beliefs are so bizarre and weird to the Jewish people. Okay? They would have been considered like, Strange, Like, the Jewish people would have been like, man, these guys, what are they? like? look into the sky for signs? Like, why don't they look to Yahweh? Why don't they look to the Creator? Why don't they read their Bibles, right? Like, that, was, that would have been the idea uh, that would have been thought of towards these wise men. And then you've got the shepherds. They, they had the right religion, but they were poor. Do you remember the, the story of King David? And, and when, when Samuel was coming to anoint the next king, and he, and he called David's father, Jesse, and said, hey, like, bring all your sons... One of them is going to be anointed the next king. And so Jesse's all excited. He calls all of his sons except David, and they come before Samuel. And Samuel's the big name in Israel. He's the big prophet, and, and he's, he's, like, going down through the list. And, and none of the sons is the one that God has anointed to be the next king. And he says, do you have another son? Like, is there someone else? And the response Jesse gives is he goes, actually, there is one, but he's just out, he's out like, taking care of the sheep. He's got, like, the loser job out in the field, okay? He's, he's kind of the run... No one really likes him. He smells funny, so we put him out with the sheep. Like, that's David, right? So, like, that, that was kind of their, their response, was like, yeah, he's out in the field. And so, you, you've got here, when Jesus, um, at his birth, he, he arrives, and what does he draw together? He's got these shepherds. They, they've got the right religion. They're part of the right group of people, but they're kind of like the nobodies in Israel. And then you've got the powerful wise men, right? So, they're, they're powerful, and they, they were considered important, but but the Jews would have thought that their beliefs were just messed up and strange and kind of bizarre. But what happens is that when, when Jesus comes into the, into the picture, he draws in this very diverse crowd of people. And do you know that it's still the same thing today? And it's really challenging to be a part of a diverse crowd of people, rich and poor, young and old, people who vote differently politically, it's challenging. You know, there's this temptation to try to make everybody think the same thing and and to have the same values and all of these these different things. But it's so incredible. When Jesus comes and reveals himself, he draws in this diverse crowd because he's actually concerned with the whole world. So, so maybe you come to, to Transformation Church and you feel like you're an outsider. I don't know how many times I've been told by people that they feel like an outsider when they come to church. And they're like, yeah, I don't really fit in. And they have all kinds of reasons why they don't fit in. And the longer that I'm, I pastor here in Thunder Bay, the more I'm convinced that everybody feels that way. You know that? Like, I, I have had conversations with so many. There's people here in this room that just feel like for whatever reason, they don't feel like they, they, they're included or they're a part... Maybe it's some kind of sin in their life, or maybe it's their, their background, or maybe, maybe you relate uh, with what Jesse shared earlier, and you're currently homeless, or you're having a hard time with, with where to live. Like, for whatever reason, you, you feel like you're... But, but the story of Jesus, do, do you see it? Like, when Jesus comes on the scene, he draws in this incredibly diverse crowd, and it all centers around him. And in the picture that was on the screen, you see the wise men and the shepherds, and they're just kneeling before Jesus. When Jesus is, is lifted up among us, when Jesus is revealed, that's the result, is that people kneel before him. And so you, if, if you're here, if you have this faith in Jesus, if you've, been, if you've heard his voice, if you feel drawn, you're welcome because Jesus is at work and he's the one that, that draws in a diverse crowd. You can put that, that other slide that I told you to skip, Andrew. Uh, this guy, uh, Pastor Vioda, Villados, I, I don't know how to say his name, but he's a pastor I follow down in, in Brooklyn, New York, and he pastors one of the most diverse churches that I've ever heard of, and uh, he, uh, I just want to read his quote. He says, in my role as pastor, I'm not trying to get everybody to agree on everything so much as I'm attempting to create environments where our disagreements don't automatically become cause for disunity. You see that? Trying to create an environment where our disagreements don't automatically become cause for disunity. When Jesus is revealed, he will draw in a diverse crowd. If you're a part of a community that, that loves Jesus and that seeks to reveal him in every way you possibly can, you're probably going to be a part of a community that makes you uncomfortable sometimes. You're going to be in a conversation with somebody and they're going to say something that you're going to be like, oh, I, don't, I don't know if I like that. You might have somebody preaching on stage that says something that maybe rubs you the wrong way. Like, Jesus draws in a very diverse crowd of people because he has a heart for the whole world. He's not like you and I. He doesn't choose favorites. He doesn't have a favorite ethnic group. He doesn't care whether you're rich or poor. He doesn't care whether you're young or old. He doesn't care whether you're sick or healthy. Jesus has a heart for the whole world. And when the gospel of Jesus is being preached, it draws in this very diverse crowd. And we see it at, at Jesus' birth. At the, his, in his birth story, you see this diverse crowd coming together. Why would God speak to the magi, you know, these these three wise men from the east? Like, why would he put a sign in the sky to draw them in? It's incredible. But it's because God has a heart for the whole world. The second reflection: stars, dreams, angels. And prophecy. You know, one of my th- my favorite things about Christianity is that if you want to study uh, reasons for believing, there's actually really good uh, logical reasons for believing the Christian faith. I was listening the other day. You may know the name John Lennox. He's a he's a pretty famous uh, mathematician and Oxford scientist. He's brilliant. He's very well respected in the world outside of the church. Uh, He's, he's, he's known at one of the most prestigious universities in the world. I watched the other day, uh, he did this this speech, and there was a whole bunch of people in the room. Some of them were famous atheists. This is kind of like a, a really popular place to do speeches and argue your point on different things. And, and he was talking about the Christian faith, this John Lennox, this brilliant mathematician, this like highly renowned uh, scientist of Oxford University. And, and he he did a 15-minute speech about... Jesus and the reasons why it's logical to believe in him, and it was incredible. Like, it was mind-blowing to listen to it. I was like, man, this guy, like, just his brilliance. But then he got to the part where he talked about Jesus' resurrection, and he started talking about just the miracle of Jesus, and there's no way to get around the unexplainable when it comes to God. You know that? You know, if if I was to ask here, and and I won't right now, but maybe maybe we'll have conversations about it, Uh, but if I was to ask, if you have a weird God story... I'll bet you that 75 or more percent of the people in this room would have a really bizarre God story. When I meet, and this, this happens to me uh, fairly often, when I talk to people that are not Christians and I tell them why I'm in Thunder Bay, people will often ask me, well, like, well, you know, what, what is it you do? And then, and then they'll ask, like, how did, you, how did you decide to come to Thunder Bay? Why? And if you've been around for a while, you know. It's because we, were, we had been praying for nine months and God spoke to my daughter Esther in a dream. You know, I, to this day, I still get a little bit awkward when I tell people that, especially if they don't know Jesus, because they're, you know, at, I'm telling them about our church and what God's doing here and things like Tims and Tins and people are, they're tracking and they're like, man, that's awesome. It's so cool that, you know, you guys are, you really care about your neighborhood and, and they're, they're getting on board with like that kind of stuff. And then when I, when they ask me about how we ended up here and I tell them like it was a dream that God spoke to us, like I feel weird. Because I'm like, I'm like, you, they must feel weird. And I feel weird that they feel weird. And I'm like, I I, I still don't fully understand it. Like, God spoke to, like, he spoke to us in a dream. I don't know. Like, we're, that's how we ended up here. It was like, I, I don't know how to explain it. And now I look back and I'm like, clearly it was God. At the time when God spoke to us, it was one of those things where I was like, is this, you know, is this really God? Do I trust this? And we did. God spoke to us through multiple different ways and he confirmed it. But it was kind of bizarre. And it's the same thing. When you read the, the Christmas story, there's so many things about this that like, there's, there's historical proof of, of, of God and who he is in the story, but you're going to get to certain points in the story where there's, there's dreams and there's angels and there's stars and there's prophecies and it's just unexplainable and God decides to speak how he wants, when he wants, and to who he wants. And, and here's what I want to encourage you with this. Uh, don't go looking for stars, dreams, angels and prophecy, look for Jesus. You know, this this story that we read, there's a star in the sky that somehow points to Jesus. There's biblical prophecies from hundreds of years before that pointed to Jesus. Angels are showing up and talking to people throughout this story on a regular basis, right? Like they just show up. They're just like, hey, how's it going? And people are either terrified or they don't know how to respond. Angels show up. Dreams where God is clearly speaking and, and here, here's the danger. Sometimes we go looking for those things, but you know what I noticed in the story and in, in the scriptures as a whole is that when God does these things, it always points to Jesus. You know, when one of the things that was really divisive during COVID, and yes, I'm, I'm bringing it up. I'm so sorry. Um, but one of the things that was really divisive is like the church got really divided over some things going on in COVID. And, and there, was, there was a pretty big election that happened south of the border, okay? Right around that time. With uh, Trump and Biden and all this stuff, and there was a lot of people in the states that claimed to be prophets, and some of them were very well known, and they and they said that the election was going to go a certain way. Trump was going to win. That was God. God chose him. Okay, th- this is I'm not saying anything new. This was like very well known. It was high profile stuff. They and they were people that were known to be prophetic and all these things. And then when it didn't happen, some of them said, "Well, Trump was God's chosen president, but the people didn't." Choose rightly, and or the election was a fraud, and there was all these things that were going on. It was really divisive, it's really been divisive in the church. And you know what? Uh, coming out of that, like I've, I've really reflected on it and thought about it a lot. Sometimes we get obsessed with the, the prophecy, or the star, or the dream, and the vision to the point where almost like that becomes the central thing that we're looking for. And you know what we see in this story is that. Jesus is the central thing in this story, the central person, the central revelation. So Jesus shows up, and and God uses dreams and stars and prophecy for the purpose of pointing people to Jesus. And so, yes, prophecies exist. Yes, God speaks through dreams. Yes, God does these crazy things that are miraculous that we still don't fully comprehend or understand. But my encouragement to you is don't go looking for those things in and of themselves. Look for Jesus. And you'll be shocked what God will do. Like I said, I, I'm sure that if, if we had a, a sharing time right now and you were going to share your stories, there'd be so many of you that would have bizarre stories of how God revealed himself to you. But look for Jesus as the one that, that you're looking to and looking for. I want to encourage you that uh, God speaks on a regular basis in his word. And, and as followers of Jesus, our primary concern is to, is to serve God faithfully, trust him, follow him, and and read the scriptures. You know, I I hear people a lot will tell me, like, well, God's just not speaking. I've been praying and I've been asking him and my life is in a mess and I'm not hearing anything. And and my encouragement to people is like, get into the scriptures. God has spoken a ton in the scriptures. And I'm also convinced that for for those of, of you that are facing really big questions in your life, I'll bet you if you were to take some time and think about it, God has given you clarity on some of those things in, in his word, through his people. And I would encourage you, don't, don't go looking for the star, the prophecy, the dream. Look for Jesus. And he just might make a star shine. <laughs> like, he just might speak through a dream. He might do something incredible. But, but Jesus, the fo- is, when he's our focus, we will hear from the Lord. And when he's the focus in this story, all these kind of bizarre things happen but it all points to Jesus, every single one of these strange uh, events. <laughs> Lastly, um, I, I want to like draw your attention to the, the last part of this story because it's, it's kind of a, a, a strange inclusion in a really happy story. Uh, good God in an evil world. The other day, uh, usually at night, I read the Christmas story, the Advent story to our kids, to Randall and Henry, and uh, I fell asleep on the couch, and so Vicky, I woke up, and Vicki was reading this story to Randall and Henry, the Christmas story, the Advent story, and I was laying there, and I was just thinking, I had this like thought, like I just got to listen to it instead of read it, and I was like, I was so comforted by this, this Advent story of Jesus, and it just hit me, I'm like, I, this is the most incredible story the world has ever heard, and it brings so much comfort to my heart and mine. But at the same time, there is so much suffering, and there's so much evil and horrible things that go on in the world that are difficult to understand. And so it's comforting, it's joyous, it's incredible, but it's also, uh, it, it, it comes at a time when there's, when there's suffering. You know, the, what we read in here, Herod, I told you to kind of keep your mind on it, when, when the wise men don't go back and report to Herod where Jesus is, he goes on this killing rampage. So the scriptures tell us that he kills all of the male children in Bethlehem under the age of two. Like, that's horrible. And, and, and just so you know, I, like, the scholarly research would say Bethlehem was probably a fairly small town uh, of about a thousand people. So this was probably 16 to 20 boys that were killed. But can you imagine you live in a town of that size and the ruler of the day has the kind of power where he can just say we're going to kill all the children and there's no accountability? Like, can you imagine living in that kind of, uh, under that kind of authority, under that kind of horrible... And some people today live in places where those kinds of things happen. The prophecy that gets quoted, and you put this up, uh, Andrew, it's a prophecy from the Old Testament. It says, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentations, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. You know, I can't help but think about the things that are going on in our world right now. So, Bethlehem, the, the place that most scholars agree was the birthplace of Jesus, it's actually in Palestine. I don't know if you, you knew that, but um, Israel, um, and you do know this, uh, Israel and Palestine share this plot of land, and there is a whole bunch of turmoil right now. And if you're watching things on the news, you're seeing that there are children that are dying as a result of the war that's happening right now in Palestine. And I couldn't help but, but reading just how somber and how sad This story is where there's these children that were dying at the time of the story being told about Jesus' birth. And I'm thinking about today, Bethlehem is actually in Palestine, and there's this crazy, violent conflict that's happening right now. And so, here uh, where we live, Christmas is a celebration, and there's incredible hope. And we get to be with our families and, and go out on the streets with freedom and pass out tins and tims, and it's incredible. But there's places in the world where that is actually impossible. The Christmas celebration in Bethlehem normally is pretty high. Like there's all kinds of celebration. It's the birthplace of, of our Lord. But this year, there's not a whole lot of celebration happening in Bethlehem. And those that are celebrating are, are really... Uh, having to to lessen how much celebration they they actually participate in, and it's sad, like it's just it's just grievous. And 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 strangely, I don't know about you. Maybe maybe bringing this up just makes you feel heavy. But when I find this stuff in the scriptures, it comforts me because I know that God does not avoid the reality of the situations that we live in in our world. When you read the scriptures. It's not this fantasy story that's meant to just make us all feel better, but it's super shallow. It's very real. And so the story of Jesus, what we ended with today at the end of chapter two, there's this incredible hope. You got wise men coming from the east. You got the, the shepherds showing up. You got all this incredible stuff going on and the prophecies are being fulfilled. Angels are showing up. But at the same time that that's happening, there's, there's destruction and there's this evil, maniacal, crazy leader who's causing death. And the same is true today. There, is, there, is, there are deaths that are happening. There are people being killed, and it's a horrible, horrible thing. But at the same time, as followers of Jesus, the greatest message of hope is our message. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. And ever since the coming of Jesus until now, there's this, uh, when, when we say yes to him, we we become a part of His kingdom, and we're we're a part of this like kingdom within a kingdom. So no matter where we live, if if you live in if you're a follower of Jesus that lives in Palestine, you're a part of the kingdom of God. But there's this earthly kingdom that we're also a part of, and a lot of those are evil and wicked. And just to make it more personal, I want to close with this. Um, maybe you're hearing with this, and yes, it's sad, but it feels so far away. You know, the the Middle East, Palestine, is so far away from us. But maybe reading this story. It's hard to feel hope because you're dealing with an angry alcoholic in your home or a severe drug addiction or some severe trauma from your past. Or there's these just really painful things. The reason I find that the Christmas story is hopeful is because we don't, the, the Christmas story doesn't overlook the reality of sin and, and the reality of just evil and violence and wickedness. But there's hope in the midst of it. And so what the, what the scriptures have to say and what the story of Jesus has to say to us is that, yes, these things exist, but we're invited into this incredible relationship with God that his restoration, when he begins the work in us, it starts now and he begins to change us now and it has an impact on us, on us and our communities and, and the world that we live in. And so what I want to, I'm going to invite the, the team to come up and they're going to close with one song. And, and what I want to encourage us with as we sing this last song and as we think about this this christmas season is is that the only proper response to jesus is the response that we saw in this picture which is the stereotypical nativity picture you've got the the wise men and you've got the shepherds and they're kneeling at jesus feet and for those of us if if you're here this morning and and you're wrestling with some of the things going on in the world my encouragement to you is to just come to Jesus look to him ask ask Jesus like Jesus what what is the response that you want from me you know how can I pray how can I respond and, and maybe you're here and some of that violence touches you maybe you're in a situation where you're experiencing violence and you're experiencing heartache and you're experiencing some terrible things my, my hope my prayer is that as we read this story that you'll come to see that Jesus is the hope of the world He's the Savior. He's the one that He has come to reveal to us what it looks like to have a relationship with God and that He can bring us restoration and healing in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Whatever situation you find yourself in today, whatever struggle, whatever difficulty, that Jesus is the hope of the world. And as you come to Him and kneel like we saw these these wise men and shepherds do, we have this encounter with God and He gives us hope in the midst of, of darkness, in the midst of difficulty. Um, so let's just, we're going to stand, we'll sing this last, last, last song together, um, and I just encourage you, even as we sing it, and the altars are always open, if, you're, if we're singing this last song and you feel to come forward and pray at the altar, I encourage you that you're welcome to do that, you can, you can do it from your seat, um, but just if the Lord is, is uh, speaking to your heart in any way, I want to encourage you to respond to Him, look to Jesus. The, the whole reason for this season is Jesus and the hope that He is, and He brings us hope even in the midst of the darkest uh, situations. Let's pray.